God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring the service to you wherever you are. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and the promises He has for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12? That's where we're going to be today. We'll also show those verses up here in the video for you, just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about fear and grace. Deep down inside, people sense that God exists, and they sense that He wants us to know Him, to seek Him, and to discover the purpose of our lives. And the people that think about God try to figure out what He expects from them, what He wants from them in life. And what they think about God determines how they go about seeking Him. If you look at the pages of the Bible, you see that the Bible shows what God is like. It reveals His heart to us. It lets us know what He thinks about us. When people look at the Bible, they see what He's really like. Jesus Christ told His disciples that if you'd seen Him, you've seen the Father. And that He was full of grace and compassion, mercy, and He always spoke the truth. God's Word, of course, is truth. But if you didn't look at the Word of God, if they didn't look at the Word of God, they likely thought of God as being just like themselves. That means that they were not so willing to forgive others who had done them wrong. They would hold grudges against others they perceived as being against them. That also means that they looked for opportunities to get even with other people who had done them wrong. And because they were so judgmental against others for everything done wrong, they also had the same condemnation in their hearts for themselves when they didn't do right, when they didn't do what they were supposed to do, or when they did something that they weren't supposed to do. And their conscience is always hanging over them, condemning them for the wrong things that they had done. That's what happens when you think that God is like you are, that He'll punish all the wrongs you've ever done, that He doesn't want to forgive you, and that He'll get even with you for every time that you've messed up. So you see, how you see God determines whether you have peace in life or not. If you see the God of the Bible, you see Him longing to forgive you and to have mercy on you. You see Him loving you and desiring to bring you into His kingdom, heaven. In the Bible, you see Him giving His own life on the cross of Calvary so that you could be forgiven of your sins and be with Him forever in heaven. But that choice is yours. You can see God in fear of judgment or you can see the true God, the God of the Bible the God of compassion, mercy, and grace. You either choose fear or you choose grace. The choice is yours. Choosing fear leads to constant guilt and worrying about judgment all the time. Choosing grace means living in peace. You always have a deep abiding peace in your heart, knowing that your sins are forgiven and that you'll live forever in heaven. The choice is yours. And that's what our scripture today talks about in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 through 29. Let's look at it together. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, 
without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his own birthright. Verse 17, For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now let's talk about these first few verses that we've just read today. It goes on, and the author of Hebrews is now wrapping up the book of Hebrews. He's already talked about the credentials of the Messiah, proving that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that He is God. And now toward the end of the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is talking about what we should do in our lives, how this should affect our lives, and making sure not only our doctrine is correct, but that our hearts are seeking God in the way that God is pleased with, in the way that God really wants us to seek Him. He doesn't want us to seek Him out of fear of judgment. He wants us to seek Him out of peace, knowing that our sins are forgiven. Well, that's what these first few verses are talking about. Look back at verse 14, like we read. It said, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many be defiled. Let's talk about that. You are to pursue peace. Now, if you're one of those people who just says, well, I don't like being around other people, and they usually do something that makes me upset, and I don't agree with them when they say this or that, and if their doctrine isn't perfect, then I just don't want to associate with them. God says, pursue peace with all people, and pursue holiness. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, the children of God. He said that in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Isn't that amazing? To be called the children of God, the thing that qualifies you to be called a child of God, is that you show peace to all people. And not only that, but look at the word pursue. It says pursue peace with all people. You know, when you pursue peace, that sort of gives the impression that it may be difficult. They may be running away from you. They may not be trying to have peace with you. In fact, they may be just throwing everything in your face and you just have to smile and pursue peace with that person. It's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to have peace with those who are trying to have peace with you. But this verse in verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all people. That means you have to chase after it. It means that it's something that might be a little difficult to do. Uh, you know, if you just see them just showing peace to you, well, that's easy. You can respond in peace. But if you see them trying to hurt you and say bad things to you, that's a little tougher. You have to smile anyway and turn that other cheek. Don't fight fire with fire. Don't try to fight back. Give that fight to God. He's going to take care of that person. 
you pursue peace. And who knows, that may show them that you have a peace deep inside that they don't have, and they'll want to know your God. They'll want to know the Messiah and Lord that you believe on, because it's evident, it shows in your life. And so not only does he say pursue peace with all people, he says pursue holiness. That means that not only are you trying to keep at peace with people, but you're trying to keep at peace with God. You're not trying to earn your way into heaven anymore. The cross of Calvary made sure that your sins are forgiven. And if you believe on Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah, then your sins are forgiven. But God still wants you to be holy. He wants you to think about the things that please Him and to aspire to those things, to aim for those things in your life. Oh yeah, there's going to be times when you miss the mark. There's going to be times when you fail to do what you were supposed to do, when you did something that you weren't supposed to do. But pursue peace with all people and holiness with God. Let it be your aspiration, your heart to grow in the things of God, that your life would go from glory to glory, one day to the next. Yeah, it's going to be a slow process, but you stay there, you be patient. God's going to do His work in your heart. His Holy Spirit is the one who's raising you up as His child. Pursue that holiness with God as well. And He says about holiness, He says in verse 14, without which no one will see the Lord. So you see, if you think that you've been saved and then you have no interest in living a holy life, if you have no interest in doing the things of God, then you're not pursuing holiness. You're not dedicating your life to God. But really when the Spirit of God lives in you, He's going to make it to where you hunger for righteousness, to where you thirst for it and you desire to please God. You're not trying to earn your way into heaven anymore. That was done on the cross of Calvary by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lord. But you're trying just to please God because He's your Father. You now have His spiritual DNA, if you will, in a way of saying it, to where you have the things on your heart that He has on His heart. You want to do these things. You want to pursue holiness. And then He says, without which that holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verse 15 then continues. He says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. Okay, so he's saying, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That's talking about the previous verse in verse 14 that we just read, where he said, pursue peace with everyone, and have holiness in your life. So he said, if you don't do this, you're falling short of the grace of God. You're not doing what it is that God saved you to do. He wants you to be at peace with other people. He wants you to be holy. In fact, a verse in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, as we would say in English, says, you are to be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. You see, again, he's saying to you, you're my child. You've got my spiritual DNA in a way of speaking. I'm not talking literally there. You have the heart of God. You have the capacity to think about the things of God. And you have the Spirit of God living in you. 
So he's bringing to mind those things that God is putting on your heart. And he's causing you to live in that way of holiness. He says, now look carefully. Don't neglect these things that you won't fall short of the glory of the grace of God. Then he says, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And what that is, is that's what we call cause and effect. You do something and it makes this happen. Or you do something and this happens. Or you allow this to happen and then this happens as a result. So basically God is saying when you don't do these things, when you don't pursue peace and you're not trying to live a holy life, then you're going to fall short of the grace of God. And if you do that, roots of bitterness in your own heart can spring up and cause trouble. What does that mean? Well, I mean, you might have been saved, you know, but then you don't pursue peace. You don't try to live a holy life and a root of bitterness springs up and it causes trouble. Bitterness causes trouble. When you have bitterness in your heart, you're just waiting for someone to do something wrong to you. You're just waiting for someone to mess up. You're just waiting for that person to say one more bad thing to you and you're going to put that person in his place. You're going to let that person know what you're thinking. You're going to give that person a piece of your mind, as we say in English. Don't let that bitterness spring up and cause trouble. It says, by this, many have become defiled. In other words, you become defiled. You're not pure like God wants you to be. You're making your heart dirty. It's supposed to be a place for the Holy Spirit of God to live. And there you are entertaining all these thoughts of vengeance and anger and malicious thoughts about other people. Don't let that bitterness spring up and cause trouble in your life. Don't let it defile you. Then verse 16 continues. It says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his own birthright. Verse 17 continues. For you know that afterward, when Afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, although he sought for it diligently with tears. He's saying, don't let your mind be on the things of this world. Esau had a wonderful birthright that he could have had as being the firstborn of his father, of his mother. The birthright was going to be given to him. That meant he got a lot more inheritance than the younger children in the family. In this case, his younger brother, Yaakov, or Jacob, as we would say in English. But Esau came in from the field hungry one day, and Jacob just happened to be cooking some red stew. And I don't know, it was probably like a soup, but it was probably like a chili too. I love chili. And man, when I'm hungry, chili is what I want. Well, Esau came in one day. He had been out in the field hunting all that time. He came in, and Jacob was cooking this stew. And Esau said, give me a bowl of that stew. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright first. Esau thought about it, and he basically thought, well, what good is his birthright doing me? It's not doing me any good right now in this life right now. Oh, yeah, it promises to be better for me later on, but that's on down the road. I'm worried about today. I'm thinking about now. And he's saying, don't be like Esau. If you're just thinking about today, if you're just thinking about now, 
and you're not planning your life based on what God wants to do with you down the road, if you're not living for heaven now, but you're living this carnal life here on this earth, you're like Esau. You're selling your birthright. You know, later on, Esau was also called Edom. Okay? Now, I want to tell you something about the word red in Hebrew. The word for red in Hebrew is Adom. That's just another way of saying Edom. And so it says in the Bible that when he sold his birthright out like that, traded it for that bowl of red stew, that the people started calling him Edom. Well, they're basically calling him Adom or red. They're calling him red. That's kind of a way of making fun of him, it seems to me. They were saying like, I heard you sold your birthright. All of this could have been yours, but you sold it away for one bowl of soup because you were only thinking about your stomach. You were only thinking about your fleshly, carnal needs, your temporary needs. You weren't thinking about the future. People started calling him Edom, which is Adom or Red. So it's kind of like every time they'd see him, hey, Red, probably kind of chuckle. But he was one of the bosses, you know, he was, one of the, he was one of the owner's sons there, Jacob and Esau. And Esau, you know, probably was trying to live that down. You see, later in life, once he left, he went back to being called Esau. But right there, when he was around the homestead and everything, they were calling him Red. And I think that was a little bit of a dig against Esau. That was a little bit of making fun of him because he sold the really important stuff for one bowl of soup. Don't think about your life just in the context of today. Don't think about the things that are just right in front of you, but keep your eyes on the horizon. Keep your eyes on the future in which the Lord will return and take you to be with Him in the kingdom of heaven, and so you shall ever be with the Lord in heaven, having everlasting life in His kingdom, having things that you can't even imagine now, wonderful, beautiful things, forever and ever and ever, with the Creator of the universe, God Himself. And that's why He wanted to call you His children when He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. He wanted to call you His child, and He wants you in His kingdom with Him so He can care for you, so He can shower His blessings upon you, so He can take you by the hand and walk you through His creation and show you the amazing things that your mind will never fully be able to comprehend. Things that you can only imagine now, and really even then you can't cover all the imagination that it requires to envision what God wants to give you. Esau tried to repent later, but he found no way for it. He found no way that he could repent. The blessing was already gone. Today is your day for salvation. Accept God's blessing. Don't turn it down. There may not be any more time. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You could be falling over dead later today. You could be in a car accident. That truck on that freeway might pull over and hit you. You might be caught in a robbery. There's thousands of things that could happen. 
Today, it says in the Bible, is the day of salvation. That's what it says in the Tanakh. It says, if you will hear his voice today, don't ignore it. Today is the day of salvation. So we go on down now to verse 18. And it's talking about this glorious company, the people. Now from here on out in this chapter, from verse 18 to 29, I want you to focus on what I call the two mountains. It's going to be talking about two mountains. And these two mountains that it's talking about are really talking about the two ways to approach God. One is a mountain that scares you. You're very afraid as you see this mountain. We'll talk about that. But the other is a mountain where the peace of God is yours, where you don't have to be fearful anymore. This is a story of the two mountains. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire, and to blackness and to darkness and to tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded, because God had said, And if as much as a beast even touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moshe Hanavi, Moses, said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. He's saying that you're not come to this mountain. When you believe on this one that we've talked about, Jesus the Messiah, the Lord, the Son of God, when you believe on Him, you're not doing the thing according to the old covenant, which was a covenant that God made with the children of Israel when He led them out of the land of Egypt. Remember Jeremiah 31 said, The Lord says, The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and it will not be like the old covenant that I had with them when I led their fathers out of the land of Egypt. But the new covenant I will make with them will be in their hearts and in their minds, and this is a covenant that I will make with them. Their sins shall be forgiven, and their wrongs I will no longer remember. You see, there were two covenants. The first of them was given when Moses led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and then they received God's law at Mount Sinai. They had stopped and camped in that area because the Lord had stopped. And whenever the presence of the Lord moved on, they would move on. And when He paused, they would pause and camp there and set up camp. Well, they had set up camp at Mount Sinai. And God called Moses up to the mountain. And for 40 days, Moses was up on that mountain. And great darkness covered that mountain and fire, and rumblings, and sounds. And God allowed the people to hear the voice of God. He allowed the people of Israel to listen to His words. And the mountain was shaking so violently, and the fire was so violent, and the flashes of lightning everywhere and everything. And the people said to Moses, We don't want to see this anymore. We're scared. We don't want to hear these words anymore. They're, they're telling our hearts how horrible, how awesome 
the power of God is. And we feel that we have sin and we just know that God will destroy us if we sin then. And then God said to Moses, what the people are saying is good. He said, I do want them to fear me. I want them to know that if they try to seek me by keeping works, that they are not righteous enough, nor will they ever be righteous enough by their own attempts to be righteous, their own efforts, their own works. He said, I want the people to know that. That's what he was saying. And the people said, we don't want this anymore. We don't want to hear these words. We don't want to see these sights anymore. That mountain was not just a regular beautiful mountain like you drive by and see. No, that mountain was on fire. It trembled violently with shakes and earthquakes and huge lightning strikes and all these things. And the voice of God Himself they were listening to was amazing and, and they just couldn't bear it. They were scared. They were afraid. They just knew that they would perish if they heard any more of the things that God was saying, speaking out to where they would hear Him. And as a result, that was written in the Scriptures and it was recorded because at the time when God said those things and met with Moses on the top of that mountain, He gave to him HaTorah, the Torah, the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible, what we call the books of Moshe HaNavi, the books of Moses. God gave those to him and it had the 613 commands. You shall do this, you shall not do this. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. The 613 commands that you are to do or not to do. And guess what? If you failed at any one of them, you are a sinner. And you were in danger of judgment right then and there. You failed at one. And you had to keep them all the time, every moment, every second, every day of your life. And most people can't even remember them all. In Israel, the Jewish Orthodox have a little book with all these commands in there. And they're trying to go over them to try to make sure that they haven't forgot something. But remembering them is only one thing. Doing them, oh, well, that's quite another thing. What are you going to do when you just forget? Oh. I forgot and I did the thing that I wasn't supposed to do. Oh my goodness, I was supposed to do this and I didn't do it. What are you going to do? You see, it's impossible to keep the law at all times. You're not strong enough. You're not righteous enough. You're not holy enough. But God will give you His Spirit and do those things later through you but not to earn your way into heaven. He has to do that because to get into heaven, you cannot have sin. And that's why you have to believe on the Son of God and the work He did on the cross to have your sins forgiven. And just like when God said for Passover, for Pesach, He says, when I see the blood of the blemish-free lamb on the doorpost of your house, I will pass over you in judgment in the same way when he sees the blood of the blemish-free Lamb of God, Jesus the Messiah, the Lord. When he sees the blood of the blemish-free Lamb of God on the doorpost of your heart, 
When he sees the blood of the blemish-free Lamb of God on the doorpost of your heart, then he will pass over you in judgment. So you see, there's this first mountain that we're talking about, Mount Sinai, which requires you to do all of these things. And if you forget any of them, you're in trouble. It requires you not to do all of these other things. And if you forget and do those, you're in trouble. Either way, you're judged. But we're flawed. We fail to remember all the time. And then there's other times when we remember and we choose to do things that God does not want us to do. We choose to forget the things of God so that we can put them aside in a moment in the flesh and satisfy our fleshly lusts. You see, there's times when you don't just forget. There's times when you don't obey. You know. You remember the words of God, but you just don't obey the words of God. There's all these times that will convict you and condemn you for your sins. When you're talking about serving God by works. When you're talking about serving God by earning His approval. That's what this first mountain is for. It's a mountain where you fear. It's a mountain where judgment will come to you if you decide to live all of your life choosing to try to please God by the things you do or the things you don't do. If that's how you think you're going to get to heaven, the score is not in your favor. You'll never even hit 10% of your life doing the things that are good. And keep in mind something else. The things that are good, the things that are bad, God even looks inside at the thoughts of your mind. All those times when you fail to commit to keep those 613 mitzvot or commands, God looks not only at what your hands and feet are doing, He looks not only at what your mouth is saying, He looks at what your mind is thinking. He looks at the intentions of your heart. God is looking at you because if you are not perfect, if you have sin, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. If you're not perfect, you cannot enter His kingdom. That's what the first mountain Mount Sinai is based on. And now, when you look at verse 22, it talks about this other mountain, the new covenant. It talks about not Mount Sinai, but Mount Zion. And he says, But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, that's Jesus, who are registered in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, and the spirits, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Verse 24 says, You've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkling of blood that speaks better things than that of Abel. And so it says in verse 25, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Remember what we said? Today is the day of salvation. Listen to what God is saying. It's very, very, very important. Your life, everlasting life, depends on it. He says in verse 25, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape, 
who refused him who spoke on earth, Moses. God speaking on earth on Mount Sinai to Moses. Then how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, the mighty holy kingdom of God, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he is promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The first time he shook Mount Sinai at the giving of the law, the first covenant. But now he's saying, if you thought that was powerful, he said, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven, all of heaven as well. Verse 27 then says, and now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Mention this now. The things that can be shaken are physical things. They're material things. We can touch them. We can feel them. We see them with our eyes. But the spiritual things are not temporary things like this earth is. And these things that you spend your life trying to accumulate the spiritual life is about eternal things, everlasting things. And that's what he says. The things that you can see, the material things, are going to pass away. But the things of the Spirit will not pass away. This is the eternal things that God wants us to focus on. He says, now not only I'm going to shake the earth this next time, but also heaven. And then when he says, once more, I'll shake the earth. I'll shake. If he says, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. That means that yet once more means that after that, there's not going to be any more shaking of the things which can be removed because those things are going to be removed. And what's going to be left are the true eternal things of the kingdom of heaven. He's going to shake earth and heaven. And then after that, there's not going to be any more shaking that he's going to do on those physical things. He's going to set everything up in heaven. And it says that these things which cannot be shaken will remain. And then verse 28 wraps this chapter up for us. And it says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom a heavenly kingdom, a spiritual kingdom for the spirit part of us. We're flesh and blood, but yes, we're spirit also. The flesh and blood perish, but the spirit can live forever if you believe on the one whom God sent, Jesus Christ. So he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And then he ends with this, for our God is a consuming fire. Now at first we talked about Mount Sinai and the sights and the sounds that terrified the people and they were greatly afraid and they begged that those words would not be spoken to them anymore. And now Mount Zion, where the Son of God gave his life on a hill with a cross, on Calvary for the sins of mankind that all who would believe on him 
have everlasting life. Not because of what we did, not because of what we didn't do, but because of who He is and what He did and the sins that He did not do because He was a pure, perfect, and acceptable sacrifice when we put the blood of the blemish-free Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, on the doorposts of our heart, God will pass over us in judgment. So it says in verse 28, we're receiving a kingdom which can't be shaken. So let us have grace. Look at what God has done for us, it's saying. So have grace. Think about how much God loved you, and that will make it easier to love other people who are not perfect also. You know what I'm talking about. That person who said something wrong about you. That person who did something wrong to you. That person who's always talking about you. That person who did this or did that. It says, since God has loved us so much, and we've received this kingdom which can't be shaken, let us have grace with other people. Let us love when people don't love us in return. Because we weren't loving God when He loved us and gave His life for us. And it said, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. In other words, you can't serve God if you don't have grace with others. If you're not loving Him with all your heart and soul, mind and strength and loving others as yourself. And it doesn't say others with whom you agree. It doesn't say others who treat you with love and compassion, who are always helping you out. No, it just says loving others. So let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. When you serve and help others, when you don't hold that grudge against them, when you extend mercy to them like God extended mercy to you, when you love others like God loved you, even those others that have sinned and done you wrong like God loved us, even though we had sinned and done Him wrong, when you live like that and have grace, that is how you're acceptably serving God with reverence and godly fear. And then he ends on a warning. For our God is a consuming fire. So he's gone from Mount Sinai, the mountain where fear is all around, to Mount Zion, the mountain where God's love and compassion and mercy is given and extended to mankind. And then he says, there's the two mountains, one based on fear, the other based on salvation from the love of God by believing on Him whom God sent, Jesus the Messiah, the Lord. And then he says, so make your choice carefully, for our God is a consuming fire. That's what it says in verse 29. It ends on this one admonition, this one warning, for our God is a consuming fire. So you see, the story about the two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, it's about the two ways that you can choose to relate to God. If you choose to seek God's approval based on your own works, there's a constant fear of not doing everything that He requires. There's the guilt that hangs over your own heart all the time. There's you seeing your own failures, failures and sins of lust, greed, envy, jealousy, unforgiveness, judging others, all these sins in your life that condemn you in your own heart. 
When you choose a relationship with God based on works, you're choosing a relationship with God based on fear. And know this, your failures will be judged. And God will strictly punish your sins in the day of judgment. Because you have no forgiveness of sins from God's grace. You haven't believed on His Messiah as Lord, and so your sins remain with you. You don't have the atoning blood of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, taking away your sins. But if you choose the God described in the pages of the Bible, that new covenant God, if you choose the true and living God, you're choosing Mount Zion and the grace of God. You're choosing His loving forgiveness and the compassion He showed you on the cross of Calvary. You're choosing peace deep down in your heart. You're believing on Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah. And that chooses God's peace for your life. Why don't you choose God's peace today? Choose everlasting life in heaven by believing on Jesus the Messiah as Lord. Why don't you give your life to Him right now? If you call on Him, He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness and He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. He'll throw all that bad history away. You'll be made completely new, given a new start, and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord today. To receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save you from judgment. Just pray something like this. God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. The seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, it's going to grow. You'll begin to see wonderful things that God's doing in your life, changes that He's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church, Learn about Him and His Word and talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do wonderful and amazing things in your life.